0: Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver Newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton, and this podcast is brought to you by the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. The Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association supports, promotes, and represents the shared interests of 7,000 businesses and property owners in the central 90 block area of Vancouver's downtown core. Later on today, we're going to be talking all about the latest news in retail with RetailInsider.com's Craig Patterson. Everything from Cineplex's efforts to revamp Granville Street to the Donnelly Group's designs for retail cannabis. And a little later on, Electron Communications' Matthew Klimpenstein he dives into Tesla's uh, ongoing struggles, so to speak, as well as the state of the EV industry not just here in Canada, but in other jurisdictions. We're going to have a very interesting discussion with him. But first, let's talk retail. With us today to talk about all the latest news in retail, it is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. Craig, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so last time you are on, I think we talked – about granville street it is always a point of interest for us because it is kind of the the big one of the big retail centers in all of metro vancouver and now we find out that cineplex is taking over that old empire granville 7 cinema site it's prime real estate it's right between robson and smythe and They're creating this multi-level rec room sort of concept. What's your takeaway on this? Is this kind of a good fit to help revitalize this block that's just been kind of sitting vacant for like seven years now?
1: I think it is for the most part. Um, the rec room is a really interesting concept. I don't know if you ever remember Chuck E. Cheese from when you were a kid, of if course. that was a thing. Uh, <laughs> so I sort of I visited a couple of rec room locations and it kind of reminded me of that but uh, with, uh, you know, for adults with alcohol and whatnot. So um, you know, it is very very much an entertaining experience and, uh, you know, it'll bring, I guess you'd say, sort of a more, I don't know if the term mainstream would be the right word, but, you know, sort of a more of a mainstream type of person to Granville Street, to, uh, you know, where you know, the street is, I think, struggled with foot traffic and is, you know, attracted a certain element over the time. So uh, this could be a great addition. However, you know, it also does serve alcohol and, you know, it can be you know maybe a, a rowdy the odd time i'm wondering if it would be that much different from any of the nightclubs that are already in the neighborhood but i suspect it would be, at least be an improvement
0: yeah well that's the curious thing I, i've not been able to visit any rec room locations in other parts of canada but from what i gather this is geared less towards say club goers and more towards people that maybe want to sit down have a drink that sort of deal do you think that's kind of to the benefit of granville street uh, versus you know what the other options are
1: I think overall, I do think that it does cater to a different demographic than, say, some of the you know the louder uh, nightclubs that you might see uh, in the area. And also, you know, the hours may be different, although I suspect uh, the rec room would also be open fairly late in the evening. I'm not actually sure if they've announced that yet, uh, but I, I don't think they closed that early. So, um, you know, but at the same time, it is sort of an extension of the uh, Granville uh, entertainment zone, which you know, is a place where people can go to socialize. But, uh, I I mean, I I think it's better overall than, you know, your typical nightclubs. So I I think it will be a benefit to the neighborhood. But I also think things like, uh, you know, the new spaces, co-working space, and uh, some new retail that's going to be announced for the area. Uh, You know, I I think these are also going to be very, very transformative to Granville's future.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that I'm curious about, though, is apparently there is going to be an extensive outdoor seating, like, on the rooftop. Um, I I wonder if that they're going to be able to get away with that just because it's so far away from say ground level, maybe the noise complaints won't be as much, but I, I wonder how much of a rowdiness factor is going to come in play when, you know, you have what could be hundreds and hundreds of people in one spot drinking now uh, throughout the evening.
1: Mm-hmm. I have to check how close the residential buildings are to that because, um, you know, there could be some noise complaints. I'm wondering if it would have to be closed down before is it 11 p.m. when patios have to close down generally I think so. to be on a street? Path?
0: Yeah, I think there so that might be. There was a pilot where I think they allowed some to stay open until, say, midnight, for example, and I don't know if these guys would necessarily qualify for uh, staying open until midnight, just considering like how large the group of people would be on this rooftop area.
1: Yeah, it would uh, you know, be a challenge. I should actually just check exactly you know what's behind it. I forget what <laughs> residential buildings are there, but um, you know, that I think that would certainly have uh, an effect. Granville Street is a little bit detached from retail or sorry, I should say from residential uh on the street, but, but not by that much if you think about it. There are towers uh um not too, you know, literally behind Granville Street. So in fact, I lived in one and uh, it can get noisy. Yeah. I lived at the uh, Capital residences. Um, for uh, a while, and yeah, no, I mean, it, it was a noisy area, but, you know, there's also noise during the day from, you know, musical performers around, uh, you know, the corner of Granville and Robson uh, banging drums or, or, you know, using a m- megaphone or whatever they were doing.
0: Well, one of the other big mainstays of that area, though, of course, is the Donnelly Group. They're known for being one of the most prolific pub and club operators here in this province and they just announced plans to get uh into i guess the retail cannabis sector uh with what they're calling hobo recreational cannabis they want to have nine of these storefronts across canada most of them are going to be in bc for a company like the donnelly group do you think this is just kind of the next natural step for them
1: well uh I mean, the Donnelly Group, you know, is a service provider, I guess, in the food and beverage area. And, um, you know, expanding into cannabis might just be a next step. Uh, You know, restaurateurs have certainly, uh, you know, say, gotten into the grocery uh, industry, for example. Like, you know, Mark McKeown from television has a couple, well, a few grocery stores now. Um, You know, and perhaps cannabis is the next big thing. Um, You know, again, it's, you know, it's products being offered to the public and, uh, you know, it's done sort of in a formulaic way. And, you know, the Donnelly group probably can actually, you know, be very successful doing this. I would think uh, the name is interesting though.
0: Yeah. Hobo. Um, Is this a very problematic name? Do you think most people just kind of shrug their shoulders? Jeff Donnelly, he says that he doesn't see it as having a negative connotation, but I know that a lot of people could see it as kind of a derogatory word that is directed towards homeless people. And there's just such a severe homeless problem here in Vancouver what is your take on, I guess, their branding here?
1: Um, I mean, I don't know if I would have used that term, but I highly doubt it was derogatory only because it's, you know, what they chose for a business name. So I don't think that they were looking at, you know, creating any sort of a negative buzz or, um, you know, say, for example, targeting a population that may not be able to afford their product. So uh, I'm sure that, um, you know, the name, maybe I wouldn't have chosen it specifically, but I'm sure it was chosen for a good reason and, you know, in good faith because, uh, um, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is, you know, call your own company crap or say that, you know, uh, you know those who have limited funds can, you know, are the only ones that are going to be consuming something. So uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't, if the public doesn't, but it's worked out fine, I suppose.
0: All right. Yeah. And, you know, if we go a few other blocks away, uh, Miniso, they have had a presence here in Canada, but it has been a very rocky presence. Tell us a little bit about (coughs) Miniso Canada's new management structure. Maybe you can give us a little bit of background about what's been going on with Miniso in Canada as well.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Miniso is a value-priced variety retailer. Um, It's out of China. They, they, They say that they're Japanese. And uh, they came into Canada in 2017 and they did it through a uh, Canadian uh, sort of franchise uh, model. So, uh, you know, Miniso came in uh, with Canadian uh, management that were on the ground in Vancouver. And um, then the Chinese company looked at the Canadian division was uh, stealing money, uh, hoarding products. It just became a very unusual situation. I was also told that the Chinese uh, parent company was withholding. Uh, Product, I think because they weren't getting paid or something. It it sounded like there was a bit of a risk in the company. And then finally, the uh, Chinese parent company applied in the BC courts to bankrupt the uh, Canadian division because they said that, you know, they wanted to get their assets out of there and, uh, uh, you know, basically stop this uh, alleged fraud. So uh, then uh, it was uh, the company, I believe, was put into the care of a trustee, the Canadian division, that is. Another Chinese parent company has taken over uh, Miniso Canada. I think it's really good news, or at least hopefully it is, in terms of uh, the retailer will be able to continue with its expansion. I I like Miniso. I bought a pair of gloves there last week.
0: Yeah, I've popped in. It's a very interesting place. It's just kind of I, I wonder. Do you think that its reputation has taken any sort of hit in the eyes of the consumer base right now, or do you think it's just going to be same old, same old moving forward?
1: It may have taken a little bit of a hit. I mean, it was in the press, but, um, you know, Miniso seems to have, I think, quelled any concerns. Uh, You know, their friendly social media has said everything is okay, and, you know, I think the general public takes things at face value. So, I don't know if Miniso is going to have any huge issues there. And really, if you don't see concerns at the store level, very often people won't really, you know, register uh, you know, what's happened in the background, you know, for example, the mini store that I was in, it was crowded. Uh, you know, this is after all the rigmarole. This was just last week. You know, the store was crowded. It was actually full of product, which is a good sign. And it was brand- mini soap branded product. So again, they're getting their shipments and uh, I, I think it's all going to die over. Um, I do wonder, you know, in the future, if, uh, uh, potential franchisees, and some have actually reached out to me, even uh, personally, um, whether or not they would look to uh, work with Miniso in the future, just because of you know all the media coverage that was negative. So I think that would actually be the biggest challenge for Miniso right now. But um, hopefully the company is able to satisfy franchisees moving forward who would open stores across the country. That uh, you know, Miniso is open for business and is a company that is hopefully ethical.
0: And lastly, I think we can dive into this, but uh, you have been looking into concerns over, you know, say potential violence in a number of stores in this country. Tell us about some of the concerns that you've been finding recently, Craig
1: yeah um I wanted to give a bit of a warning to people who work in stores and manage them, uh, especially high end stores in Vancouver. Um, I don't know how many uh, you know employees would be listening to this, but uh, my understanding is there's been uh, a number of pretty concerning robberies, some of them quite violent, and some of the retailers have been keeping it quiet. They didn't uh, I guess number one want uh, people to know that these things had happened, and number two, um, and perhaps they were looking at uh, uh, you know not encouraging copycats basically. One of the robberies I understand is, uh, you know, these people would uh, put on some sort of protective mask, go into uh, a high-end store, uh, bear mace the place, or you know, use some sort of noxious substance to uh, render the staff uh, incapacitated, and then from there do a smash and grab and run. And you know, they got it at one high-end retailer in like 58 seconds or something like that. So, um, you know, and I don't even know how you know employees management can be vigilant to that I mean, I, you know how quickly can you put on a mask if uh, someone's bear sprayed your business i, I don't know but yeah. i do think that it is important to uh you know at least just get the word out and say this is something that's happening and it's not necessarily new i mean robberies have been happening for years but uh, there has been a concerning increase uh you know i'm hearing word on the street that this is uh, a problem that should be you know i, I don't know i mean i hope the pl- i hope the police are uh, able to address this and you know, I want to encourage people to stay safe. It was just a warning we wanted to put out there and say this is something that, you know, is happening right now in the lower mainland, uh, including, you know, the Vancouver's luxury zone uh, around Pacific center and South Granville.
0: Well, I think that it's very good to at least have those warnings in front of us. And as you said, like it, you kind of wonder how can people, you know, kind of stay vigilant and, and, you know, push back against any of this sort of stuff. But I think, you know, if we're starting with at least having knowledge of this altogether, I think it's a good message to get up there.
1: And I don't think there have been any serious injuries, which is a good thing. And, you know, we encourage people to not, you know, stay safe. Whatever training you've received, use it. Uh, you know, maybe don't fight back if someone's arms. You know, these are all things just to maintain your own safety. I mean, a person's uh, life isn't worth, you know, a desi- you know, saving a designer handbag. So, you know, that's something I always think is ultimately we're selling material things, but human lives are still at stake.
0: Well, excellent. Uh, Craig, as always, I want to thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me. That is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. Stay with us, Matthew Klippenstein from Electron Communications. He joins us after this to talk about electric vehicles and more. And joining us today, once again, it is Matthew Klippenstein from Electron Communications. Matthew, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me again, Tyler. Okay, so this week, the Vancouver International Auto Show, it returns to the city. I'm curious, do you get excited about these kinds of things? Is it like a real great showcase moment for hydrogen fuel
2: cells, for the electric vehicles? What's your take on this here? Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, It will probably annoy some of my environmentalist friends that uh, I, I have an excitement about the auto show because- you know cycling is preferable to um single vehicle uh, single occupant vehicles transit and so forth but it is it is a big part of our lifestyle and there's a great chance to move the needle and especially expose people to the variety the growing variety of product that we have uh, available for people to purchase hopefully every year we get uh, more and more of the consumer needs are covered so that uh, you know we don't have pickup trucks yet right. we give it a couple of years but um as As time moves on, as the years go on, there's just a greater and greater pool of uh, consumers that we hope uh, can benefit from these zero-emission technologies. The big name there is going to be like, say, Tesla, for example. Is there anything
0: interesting going on with Tesla this year?
2: Sure. Well, um, news-wise, Tesla is never not interesting. But at the auto show, uh, for the first time, we have been told there will be two Tesla Model 3s available for test drives so that uh, people who are interested in trying it out, getting that... uh, Tesla smile as they call it with the fast acceleration can sign sign up to have these test drives um, so through our work at plug-in BC it's a nonprofit that oversees provincial rebates for uh, EV infrastructure uh, through that work, um, Uh, We work with Emotive, which is an outreach group which is overseeing these ride and drives, these test drives. And so um, we encourage uh, listeners who are interested in trying out some electric vehicles in a non-sales environment, you know, very low pressure. It's not like you're going into a dealership that this is a fantastic way to – you know, to get that first taste of what um, the technology might be like for them. Yeah, I was at the BC
0: Tech Summit last week. I saw the eMotive people there. And I think it's pretty easy to draw attention over to the electric vehicles. And it's just kind of cool. I think it's going to be a very fascinating showcase for the auto show. Just bring the attention. These are car lovers, you know. So it's mm-hmm. interesting to see kind of, I guess, interest spread around with regards to this particular sector.
2: Uh, that's right. I think uh, I think a lot of car lovers do um, – Already enjoy electric vehicles, uh, others, of course. So you need to have the right car for yourself. No one, no one wants to pretend that, you know, like one size pants fit what one size fits all pants necessarily fit everyone in every occasion. Yep. Um, but, uh, but yes, it is a very encouraging thing. We have a lot of car enthusiasts who are absolutely, uh, crazy over electric vehicles because the performance characteristics, the silence, you really get to benefit from the, uh, the higher end uh, audio systems, for example. And uh, as well, Uh, the prices are systematically coming down. So they are in the reach of more and more of us uh, us hoi polloi, as they used to say.
0: One of the things you mentioned a few moments ago is say the provincial budget and the rebates that uh, would be available. We had the provincial budget come out last month. What's your take on that with regards to what is available for people in the market for electric vehicles right now?
2: Right. So the provincial government in December uh, re-upped the incentives for purchasing new electric vehicles, our new plug-in electric and hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, actually, all zero emission vehicles. The incentives are $5,000 for a battery electric vehicle, as well as uh, for certain plug-in hybrids, which have large batteries. Plug-in hybrid is basically uh, something, um, uh, I guess the Mitsubishi Outlander is, uh, is a plug-in hybrid, has that option, where Around town, you can toodle around on your battery, but then if you have to make a road trip, uh, then you can use any of the 12,000-odd gas stations that are found across Canada. Uh, fuel cells also qualify for incentives. We do have the first of six uh, hydrogen stations being um, uh, that is up and running in Vancouver. We'll have about a half a dozen by the end of 2020. And uh, this is a, this is an option for some people who might not be able to or might not want to charge at home. As long as you've got the hydrogen there, there is zero behavior change.
0: Well, how do we rank as a province with regards to efforts to get this going? I I know that Ontario, there's a lot of uh, commotion not too long ago with Mm -hmm. regards to uh, incentives available
2: there. But uh, tell us where you think BC ranks. So BC currently ranks first. We've been jockeying for the lead with Quebec in terms of uh, the new car sales percentage being plug-in electric vehicles, or I should say zero-emission vehicles. Uh, I think last year we ended around 3.7-odd percent, Canada was about 2.2%. Mm. Now, um, my expectation or my fear is that uh, the uh, there could be a softening of sales across Canada because, again, Ontario is a big chunk of uh, Canada's population. Uh, but that said, um, there was an intimation over the weekend that the federal government in its budget, uh, released Tuesday, uh, will include uh, incentives for the purchase of zero-emission vehicles and that would... Put these vehicles in the in the wallet range of many more Canadians. So I'm I'm very enthused and eager to uh, to find out the details on that one. Yeah, me too. I, it's going to be fascinating
0: to see that. And look, one of the big companies we talked about just a moment ago is Tesla. And you mentioned you know there's not going to be any sales pressure on people attending the auto show, but we do know that there's been a bit of back and forth about what their plans are for retail with regards to their showcase centers. We have a couple here in Metro Vancouver. Are these important? Because from what we understand, they they were doing some cost-cutting measures. Maybe they're going to close them down. Now it looks as if they're going to stay open. How important are these kinds of retail fronts
2: for a company like Tesla to draw up interest? Sure. Well, Tesla would certainly know its business better than anyone else. um, Admittedly, my perspective is from the outside. But I would imagine that even if people – eventually buy the vehicle online there is value in going to a dealership uh being able to see the vehicle drive the vehicle not everyone might have friends who are willing to let them you know wander uh, wander around the town uh, drive around the town in their in their precious vehicle their, mm. their beloved vehicle yep. um certainly i've had friends who are kind of sensitive about uh, uh lending out their uh, their performance vehicles so uh my thinking would be that the stores in the Metro Vancouver area, there's one, There's a little uh, showroom downtown, there's one in Park Royal in West Vancouver, and there's also the, the larger center on uh, West 4th. I would think these would be uh, among the most productive Tesla locations in terms of sales. This is a great environment. We're pretty much California of the north. There's a lot of cultural similarity there. And so um, I would imagine and hope that for the benefit of the employees that these are safer in terms of any retrenchment. Uh, Tesla might do. Uh, They did close a store in Calgary. Can't really see that as being a major Tesla market there. Sure. Yeah. And and one store as well in uh, Quebec, apparently. Uh, but, uh, you know, I do hope the best for the uh, for the employees and the company here in its uh, local footprint.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, we had the unveiling of that Model Y. And mm. I, look, if you look at maybe where the share prices are, investors didn't respond uh, super enthusiastically about that. W- what's your take on this Model Y that uh, was just unveiled?
2: So the Model Y looked a lot like a um, – it looked a lot like the Model 3 and – I know from uh, my friends and, uh, and my Tesla um, fan uh, friends that uh, people were hoping for something a little bit bulkier, a little bit, uh, a little bit more like the Model uh, X, perhaps. Maybe they didn't have the f- the fancy doors, but they were hoping for something visually distinctive, I suppose. Yeah. Because uh, crossover SUVs do tend to be visually distinctive. Uh, it's important to be, uh, uh, you know, for me to be neutral in the kinds of roles that I play. Uh, but uh, there are some very visually appealing uh, crossovers uh that are available at the Vancouver Auto Show the uh the Hyundai Kona for example is uh has has attracted a, a lot of attention has had uh, has received many awards so um i would imagine that uh anyone who is disappointed from that event uh and there seem to be a few people uh might have hoped that uh, Elon Musk might have put a a you know Tesla's better than Kona uh vehicle out
0: okay so i've got an even more outsider perspective than you do on this but i I look at maybe what Tesla's doing doing and i I do wonder what their future really is and whether the ultimate exit strategy is just going to be acquisition by a larger company where do you see tesla going because they have been having
2: more than a few production struggles throughout their entire course of their history that that is correct um if i was to uh so tesla has this uh, wonderful brand it, uh, an, uh, a brand that would be very difficult to build from scratch for anyone, for any player. Uh, my expectation would be that uh, if the company does run into difficulty, that at some point it will get uh, scooped up by an ambitious uh, automaker, perhaps from, uh, from the majority world, from a developing country. Um, uh, Geely, for example, in, uh, in uh, China, uh, Owens Volvo, the Swedish sort of luxury car brand. Uh, Tata Motors in India might uh, might be another uh, another suitor. So um, my thinking would be that any established automaker, they probably already have their luxury brands, their their existing models. They wouldn't want to bolt on this this amazing Tesla brand, which has challenges on the production side. But uh, an a uh, an international or a a developing country OEM might find this a very attractive acquisition, of course, everything only happens at the right price. Yeah,
0: of course, we'll keep doing that wait and see approach. But I think everybody wants Tesla to succeed. It's just going to be how do they get there if it does happen. Um, The other thing uh, I want to talk to you about, Matthew, you took a cool trip to Japan very recently Tell us a little bit what's going on in that market and maybe how there could be
2: links over here
0: uh, you know, between what's going on in Japan
2: and what's going on in BC. Sure. Um, I guess as a disclosure, um, so uh, using the same pool of funds that uh, automakers in North America used to fly journalists around to review cars, uh, I was able to convince uh, Toyota to uh, pay my flight costs to go to this fuel cell expo. It's uh, part of Japan's Renewable Energy Week, which includes photovoltaics, wind, wind, Um, battery technology, basically uh, a smorgasbord of uh, anything green technology related. The thing that that is possibly of greatest interest and relevance to British Columbia is that Japan continues to have a very strong, very systematic, focused plan to wean itself off of LNG and coal and oil eventually, uh, and use hydrogen imports instead. Uh, The country imports almost 90% of its primary energy, but the only thing it doesn't import is nuclear. Uh, technically imports that, but not really a, a popular technology at the moment. Um, and so hydrogen is its way of maintaining high energy use, you know, for an industrialized first world country without any associated emissions. They've got a small plant uh, that is uh, working, bringing hydrogen from Brunei, sort of near Indo- Indonesia at the moment. There is a plant to start uh, importing hydrogen from Australia. Um, starting in about the year 2020, that would be on the order of I think 3,000 tons per year, something of that sort. And um, in the next couple of weeks, there will be a report issued, a public report issued on the feasibility of building a large-scale electrolyzer, uh, something that takes electricity, split, uh, uses it to split water into hydrogen and oxygen, um, to create hydrogen for export to uh, Japan from BC. And so that is perhaps the the biggest hook or the biggest local angle in that we do have uh, relatively inexpensive renewable resources. We have have a wealth of uh, solar and wind that we can't really use at the moment because BC Hydro is currently in surplus. And um, there is or should be great hope in the renewable energy sector that If we are able to uh, begin exporting vast amounts of hydrogen, the clean electricity demand there should uh, bump up demand enough for uh, individual players, uh, the members of Clean Energy BC, for example, to be able to develop their own projects and uh, supply the electricity, not just for local battery electric vehicles and other uh, zero emission solutions, but also for export. We'd get exports without emissions, basically.
0: So BC looks to be in a great spot when it comes to this particular space. And I, I always like picking your brain to see what's going on in the industry. And Matthew, I can't wait to have you back on. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, I'd love to be back. That's Matthew Klippenstein from Electron Communications, and that's it for the show today. We're going to be back tomorrow. For now, you can find our archives on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. We also encourage you to share with your friends and leave a review, as that's going to help others find this podcast. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thank you for listening.